Welcome to the Relationship Help Show. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, the Relationship Help Doctor, and I'm here for you. Today we're going to talk about ways to stop tolerating abuse. Abuse you may not even have recognized that is happening now or that happened earlier in your life. Maybe you'll hear something today that you really need to hear. It's my hope that you will. You're not alone. It's not your fault. You are not to blame. And I'll help you use that redirected energy to recover and to rediscover you, your values, your dreams, your desires, and then realize them in healthy ways and in healthy relationships at home and at work. I'm so glad you're here. Hello, I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, the Relationship Help Doctor, and today's show is all about overcoming uncertainty, ambiguity, and chaos. Now, if you're listening to this show, of course, you know something about uncertainty, ambiguity, and chaos because you're experiencing it in your relationship with other people. That's why most people tune into the Relationship Help Show, too. So today should really be a big help to you. Toxic people want to keep you in uncertainty and ambiguity and chaos. It gives them control. And of course, that's what they're looking for. They want power and control. So we need to have a look at how that shows up in the relationship and what we can do about that. I've given you in segment two, I've given you some clarity because clarity is essential when communicating with difficult or toxic people. In fact, clarity is essential to communicating with yourself, let alone another human being. So in in that segment, I'm going to talk to you about learning how to say what you mean and how to do that not only with clarity, but with the skills, the competence, and with the confidence to do it. We all need to step up to that plate. And then my guest, Dr. Dennis Merritt-Jones, is returning. We're going to talk about his book, The Art of Uncertainty, and he has a completely different take on it. We're going to talk about how to meld spiritual views with practical matters in relationships. So that's a really big thing. And in the second half of that interview, we're going to ask how to know when to let go of what and is failure an option And to ask ourselves the question, what are we really seeking? And Dr. Dennis Merritt-Jones has some really great insights into that. Finally, I am going to talk to you about a question that was asked, should I take my partner back? That act comes up so often. If you are in my group on Facebook, Optimize Life, you'll know that it comes up often. If you're not in that group, it's a closed group you can ask to join. If that doesn't make you comfortable and you want a secret group, then go to my Facebook page, Relationship Help Doctor, private message me with your email, and I'll let you into my secret group. So it's important to get your questions answered, and I'm here for you to get those questions answered. 
I want to invite you, if you haven't been doing, to listen to the closing section, the last couple of minutes of the show. There's a deep affirmation there that I really hope you will hold in your heart all week. It's so important because we do have to change our mindset if we have been with toxic, difficult people. So, so much for you today. Listen in, enjoy, give me feedback, go to the Facebook page, Relationship Help Show, put your feedback there, invite your friends to join us. And uh, let's just enjoy today's guest and the topics that we have and talk soon right after this break. Hello, this is Dr. Roberta Shaler. Are these stories and questions on today's show sounding familiar to you? Are you ready to say no more to the abuse from toxic people in your life? I'm so glad. You matter and you deserve to have real love, true love in your life. Love from yourself and love from others. Not that demeaning, discounting, and dismissive masquerade that a hijackal pretends is love. I can help you regain yourself, your self-esteem, your self-confidence after a life with a hijackal, whether it was your partner, an ex, a parent, or a child. Let's work together now. For individual sessions or small group coaching, visit forrelationshiphelp.com slash join. Talk soon. Hello, this is Dr. Roberta Shaler from forrelationshiphelp.com. And I was thinking about the ways that we have of expressing ourselves and even more so about the ways that we fail to express ourselves. Have you ever had that situation where you really want to say something, but you're not sure if you know how or if it's the right thing to say or if you really should say it or how will people react or will they like you if you say it or will they like you if you don't speak up? I mean, it's really fraught with difficulties, isn't it? And we have great expressions for not saying what we mean. We say we're beating around the bush, or she tells little white lies, or he's hedging, or they're shilly-shallying. <laughs> what causes us to shy away from saying what we mean? From telling the truth, even when that truth is tough to tell. Well, often it's a lack of confidence and clarity and competence. We need to have skills. So the easiest thing to do in that case is to acquire the competence. It's not so hard to learn communication skills. You can also learn conflict management skills. We start picking those up long before we even have language by watching our families. We pick up tone of voice. We notice how sounds and ex facial expressions go together. And then we add body posture. Even babies, you know that. Even babies know who they can trust. They add up the face and the body and the voice, and they conclude that you're okay or that you're not. And not really so much changes as we age. We still have those skills, except we often start second-guessing ourselves, and then we fail to pay attention to what our senses tell us sometimes. 
We start believing what we want to believe rather than actually listening to the message that's coming our way on all levels. And if that weren't the case, we wouldn't buy things from people who make the hair on the back of our neck stand up. You wouldn't believe that he really loves you even though he regularly abuses you. You would believe the message of the senses rather than talk yourself into believing what you want to believe. And that's all about trust. When I used to teach networking, I had a program called How to Make an Entrance and Work a Room. And I talked about what happens in a networking situation when you meet new people. This is no time for posturing or pretending. This is a time for sending a congruent message. Be who you are. So why do I make this point so strongly? Well, we know that you never get a second chance to make a first impression, but in that first meeting, you want to be yourself. Of course, put your best foot forward and make sure that you can back it up with all the other steps you're likely to take with that foot for a long time, because nothing is more disappointing than to meet someone you believe you want to do business with or have a date with and find that on the second meeting, they morphed into someone else and someone that causes you to wonder, what was I thinking? So don't be that person for them. Be who you are. Be congruent. Be sure your tone of voice, your facial expression, your body posture, your words and your actions match all the time. That's what makes you trustworthy. You may know some people where those things don't match and you know you don't trust them. So learn the communication skills to express yourself authentically If you're having trouble in your relationship, it may be that you don't know how and when to speak up. You don't have that confidence. You don't have the competence and you can get it. You can get it. Take some classes, ask for feedback from people you do trust. I have classes that help you examine your communication and learn new skills and strategies. So it's easy to get the training. That's not an excuse, but You have to be willing to get clear. Clarity is essential. You have to know what you want to say. I mean, really what you want to say, not what you think the other person wants to hear. So that means you have to know what you think and feel. And this requires honesty with yourself. And if you've read my book, Kaizen for Couples, how to save and strengthen and sustain your relationship in a healthy way, then you know that it requires honesty as the first thing. That's the first gift you give to the relationship. And in my experience as a relationship consultant and a mediator, most folks don't spend enough time with themselves to find out who they really are. In fact, many people Maybe you will do anything to avoid spending time with yourself. (laughs) Your time is filled with activity and you leave no time for reflection. Or maybe you're the kind of person who wants to gather everybody else's opinion and forget to trust your own. 
And by the way, if you're in a relationship with a toxic person, you have to trust your own because that toxic person is probably putting on a public face of perfection. And that's not what's happening at home. And so you're the one you have to trust. So the question is, what do you need to say? It may not be the most popular thing, or it may not be what the other person wants to hear, but it it may need to be said to keep your relationship on an honest basis. You may be thinking, what about saying what gets me what I want? Well, it's a good question. Saying what you think the other person needs to hear to get you what you want is a great short-term solution. If you're never going to see the person again, you may get away with it. But if you are planning to see that person or maybe even work with them or live with them, you have just undermined trust. Because have you ever been duped, persuaded, or bullied into buying something you didn't want? Are you anxious to see that salesperson ever again? Okay, I think you got the drift. So are you honest with yourself? When that small voice inside says something's not right with this conversation or that person, do you listen? I hope so, because you're picking up on clarity and congruence with much more than your ears. You're listening with all your senses. Trust that. When you're speaking, you know when you're telling the truth. It rings and it resonates. And you don't have to remember what you said. Because the hardest part about lying is they have to remember it. So when you're clear and you're competent, you will be confident. There will be nothing between you and the other person. No hedging, no hesitancy, no lies, no uncertainty. You will tell the truth with skill. And you'll have learned ways to phrase things that keep the accuracy of your facts and feelings and be able to say them, to deliver them in ways that consider and protect the feelings of others because that's all in the skills. And those skills take practice. We live in a world where people cover the truth to supposedly spare the feelings of the listeners. To me, this just doesn't make sense. Do we all want to be living in denial all the time? Things need to be said, and often the sooner the better. You've likely had the experience of spinning out a situation well past its due date, or its stale-by date. The longer you spin it out, the worse things get. Many people do this in relationships that should have ended a long time ago. But I hear, oh, I don't want to hurt his or her feelings. That's just nonsense. They simply don't want to say what they mean. They've not learned, nor have they practiced the skills of honest communication. They're not competent, they're not clear, and then they're not confident in their own truth and not comfortable with the delivery. Believe me, life gets much simpler When you say what you mean and tell the tough truth, and if you need help, let's talk. Go to forrelationshiphelp.com slash join and get a free consult. Let's talk or take a course or do something. But as I said, life gets simpler when you say what you mean and you learn to tell the tough truth in a way that can be heard. So get on with it.
<laughs> I'm here to help you. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, the Relationship Help Doctor. Go to my YouTube channel at For Relationship Help, and you'll learn all kinds of things there. You can also get my newsletter, Tips for Relationships, when you visit ForRelationshipHelp.com. Talk soon. Life as a couple can be exciting and enriching. You both feel supported, known, heard, and appreciated. You know you're safe. Is that what you're experiencing? Does your partner have your back? Can you be vulnerable safely? Do you trust each other fully? Would you say you were emotionally intimate? If not, things can get much better. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, and I work with couples just like you all over the world by video conferencing. If you want a world-class relationship, learn how now. Visit forrelationshiphelp.com slash join and schedule a time to work together. Let's talk soon. forrelationshiphelp.com slash join. Welcome to the Relationship Help Show. I am so excited to have a returning guest with me today. You can see the handsome and wonderful Dr. Dennis Merritt Jones is with us again. And he is going to talk with us today about one of his many, many books. And, you know, Dennis just has this ability to touch and awaken what lies within our hearts and sends us on our way feeling better and clearer and more knowledgeable and more more certain that we can even live with uncertainty. And that's what we're going to talk about today, his book, The Art of Uncertainty. So welcome again, Dennis. Thanks. Good to see you. Good to be with you. It's good to see you too down there in Florida with all the pollen flying. <laughs> a lot of things flying in the air right now. No doubt about it. Right. So, you know, when I think of uncertainty, and I did read your book, it's a great book. So everybody go get it at DennisMerrittJones.com. It's on Amazon too, right, Dennis? Um, so DennisMerrittJones.com, that's two N's, two R's, two T's. and. <laughs> remember that. So I want to just say that the art of uncertainty kind of double-edged because when we think about uncertainty, there's kind of like, woohoo, what's going to happen? And then there's the, uh-oh, what might happen, yeah. right? What's, what's important is the subtitle of the book is really where the juice is, and that's how to live in the mystery of life and love it. Yes, and it's perfect because then it, it kind of allays that fear because I'm going to love it and I don't have to be so concerned. But what happens when you are living a fearful life? What, what happens when you need to be able to embrace uncertainty and yet what's happened to you in your life just makes you so concerned about what's around the next corner? Well, anytime, anytime fear wraps itself around us, we have to understand that it's projecting us into the future. And the whole point of this book is that you have no control over the future. You have absolutely no control over anything except your next breath in the present moment. And so the, the choice you get is how are you going to choose to experience this moment? Because it is a choice that we have. And when we, when we can understand that we can deal with fear differently, uh, than perhaps we have in the past, 
that doesn't mean fear is going to go away, but it means we develop a new relationship with fear that allows us to uh, be in charge of our experience in the moment. You know, it's interesting, um, this word fear. I saw in your book that you suggested that fear is an acronym for forget everything and run. (laughs) And my acronym for it comes from a, a book long ago called Guiding Yourself to a New Reality, and it stands for fear. Uh, f- the acronym for fear is false evidence appearing yeah. real, right. right? Do you remember that book a long time ago? Yeah. <laughs> so I think many people believe that fear is the forget everything and run. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and what happens is they, they you know, fear, when, when, we, when fear overtakes us, we go unconscious, you know, and we go into to flight and survive, for survival mode. And, and uh, we can't live a productive life when we're in that mode. No, we surely can't because we're not fully present, as you said earlier, but all of the echoes of the past are kind of raising our shoulders to our earlobes. And when we're in that fearful state, many, many things happen in our body. The body says, oh, I should be afraid of this. When that happens, the body says, okay, I need to survive. And all of our blood starts to go to our heart and lungs to keep us alive and when that happens of course it comes from our hands and our feet which is why they get cold when we're upset but where else does it come from here (laughs) especially from our prefrontal lobes and the more that we get into that fear and flight situation um the the less we can be present yeah one of the things that um it's important to remember about fear is that that all fear is attached to a concern of loss of something. Mm-hmm. In other words, all fear is attached to a, a fear, a concern of death. Actually, it's not necessarily. It can be a physical death, the death of our, our, our ourselves or a loved one, but it also can be the death of a relationship, the death of a career or a financial status or the wellness in your body. There's a number of ways that we that. The, the concern of loss of something overwhelms us. That's really interesting, Dennis. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but isn't that the fear that something won't happen? The fear that something will happen? Yeah, both. The fear, yeah. the fear I won't get what I need. There won't be enough. The fear that I won't be able to handle if I get too much. Isn't that what happens sometimes with people with scarcity and abundance? Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, behind behind the energy of fear, um, there's a message if we're willing to listen to it. You know, I, I in the East they talk about the uh, the idea of dancing with your demons, mm-hmm. and and if if we're if we're willing to stand toe to toe with that demon, whatever the fear is in the moment, we can call it in close. I do a visualization, a guided visualization in a workshop on based on this book, where I have people visualize being in a dance hall and they're sitting against the wall and they're and I have them conjure up their greatest fear and I, I guide them to that fear comes up to them and asks them to dance and so they're on the dance floor with this fear that they have and we make it a safe place to understand that it's that it's all a visualization but the idea is that you, you, rather than withdraw and push away and try to run from your fear, you can run, but you can't hide because it will always follow you until you deal with it, 
that you call it in and embrace it like a dance partner and you whisper in its ear, teach me, oh, master teacher of the moment. What does it I need to know about you so I can transcend you? In other words, the fear is not necessarily going to go away, but we can understand when we understand the message or what the reason is behind the fear that is overwhelming us, it repositions us to be able to live in spite of that fear. Mm -hmm. I, I really like that. You know, and I've read many of your books, Dennis, and the way that you explain things so memorable, just like that experience. And I hope everybody's really understanding that there is great richness in Dennis's work. So go to DennisMerrittJones.com and remember to double everything except the beginning and the end. But, you know, there's just so much in that because when we embrace a fear, not say, oh, I'm delighted to have this fear, but to say... Maybe it turns out to just be smoke, right? Sometimes something appears so real. That's why I like the acronym false evidence appearing real. Remember that old story about the, the fellow who was deathly afraid of snakes in India. And he was homeless and he crawled into a box car that, to sleep for the night. And they shut the door of the boxcar while he was in there. And there was just a sliver of light coming in. And he saw a snake. And in that seeing of that snake, he was petrified and paralyzed. And all he could think about is, here I am locked into this boxcar and I'm going to die. And in the morning, they opened the boxcar because that was all done from the outside. And he was dead. And next to him was a coil of rope. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so that's even underneath what you're talking about is that we have a fear came from somewhere. It it's it's legitimate perhaps because somewhere in our early life it it was implanted or suggested and we didn't feel safe at the time, so we connected the two. But being able to do what you said, you know, that visualization just be willing in a safe space where there's people all around who can help you, people who will save you if you need saving, to embrace that. You know, that's often what I do with my clients. You know, they come and they have fears that are stopping them from having great relationships. Whether I'm working with a, an individual or a couple, their fears are in the way. Well, so I, I, go ahead. I, I was going to say, what may help some people understand is that, you know, fear is learned. Let's, let's be real clear about something. You know, we're born with only two fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Every other fear we have is acquired. Yeah, I, I would add something to that because there's good evidence that we are also born with the fear of abandonment. And that comes from the fact that we know that we're not like cows and horses. Our mm -hmm. mothers don't spit us out, lick us off, and then we leap up and jump around the meadow. We're a blob. We know we can't survive, right? So these basic fears that are there can morph into anything, especially if we're in an unsafe environment. And the problem is too many times we as children drag into adulthood fears that we had as children that don't belong in adulthood. 
And right. we've forgotten how to delineate the difference between what to fear and what not to fear. Mm-hmm. And, and how many times, you know, during our growth, our brains are not fully formed until we're 25. They're <clears> most pliable until we're six or seven. Our prefrontal lobes develop when we're seven or eight. That's ra- rational, linear, logical thought. So everything that got put in there through the senses, even before we had language, is really stuck in there. Mm-hmm. And how many people at 25 look back and say, Dennis, I need you to take me on a journey to find out where I got all the fears so I can get rid of them right now. <laughs> Not very many, right? Because they're too busy having a life and creating a successful career and having a family. Yeah. I don't and, think we necessarily have to understand where all the fear came uh, from in our, throughout our lives in order to, to transcend it. No, I don't think we have to know where they came from, but I do know that it's helpful to go back and see, am I afraid of something and give it a name? Because when we can clarify what it is, then we can talk about it. Yeah, totally agree. So I have a question for you. I talk a lot about in the hallmarks of hijackals, those difficult, toxic people that I talk about all the time on this show. One of the hallmarks is ambiguity. Do you make a distinction between ambiguity and uncertainty? No, I think ambiguity is is more or less intentional avoidance, where uncertainty is not necessarily avoidance of anything. It's it's um, it's not it's not avoiding what is. It's being afraid of what is. I mean, uh, that doesn't make sense. I'm not even sure how to define that. Yeah, it's kind of slippery, isn't it? Because I was thinking about it this morning when we were preparing to talk with you, and I thought, Kali, I talk about ambiguity. Hijackals, those difficult people I talk about, they love to keep you in ambiguity. They want you never to be quite sure. So they say yes to something, and then when you say, okay, did you do it? They say, I never agreed to that. Or they say, I might do it, or soon, or one day. And they leave everything in ambiguity, so they have control over it. But it seems to me that's not the same as uncertainty that you're discussing, because you're talking about walking on the edge of what you don't know. Isn't that the truth? Yeah, always coming to the edge of what you don't know and and having the faith in the moment and in yourself and whatever uh, it is that gives you a sense of, of purpose and meaning in life, to come to the edge of what is and lean over, you know, I, in the book, I refer to, you know, we're, we're all mystics. You know, we're all born with this ability to perceive beyond the, the veil of the five senses and trust and be led uh, to, to uh, have faith in what's next for us without having to see the evidence of it. The problem is some of us are optimistic and some of us are pessimistic. Oh, very good. <clears throat> in other words, a lot of people, when we stand on the ledge of uncertainty, we're looking down rather than up mm. looking down and with what, what I could lose everything. This could be horrible, you know, or we can look up and look for the possibilities that lie in the field of uncertainty as well as the, the, uh, the fears of. Yeah, that's a great distinction because, of course, there you go, folks. Just like I said to you, Dennis will put things in clear terms. Think about that, everyday mystics <laughs> and how you talk about optimistics and pessimistics. Um, 
<clears throat> so very important. And we have this opportunity of choice, don't we? But in order to have choice, to make choices, to recognize we can exercise our choice, you brought up an important term, and I'd like to talk about it for a little moment, which is faith. Mm-hmm. You know, in order to, to, to deal with it, we need to be able to understand what faith is. So in part two, let's start with that. We'll talk about what faith is and how faith and fear intermingle and what we can do with those two things. Okay. So my guest is Dr. Dennis Merritt Jones. And you can find out more about him and his book, The Art of Uncertainty, and his other books at DennisMerrittJones.com. Dennis with two N's, Merritt with two R's and T's, Jones.com. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Dr. Roberta Shaler. Handling hijackles is exhausting. It's never-ending. An endless cycle of crazy-making, alienation, and constant drama. And cycles are difficult to step out of. I know, because I've been there too. And that's why I reach out to you to offer the insight, skills, and strategies you need to heal. My small group programs, Handling Hijackles, and Hijackle Recovery and Rediscovery, will shortcut your journey to healing, to save your sanity, and to stopping the crazy-making. Visit forrelationshiphelp.com slash join now and let's talk soon. Welcome to part two of my interview with Dr. Dennis Merritt-Jones, the author of The Art of Uncertainty and many other fabulous books that I highly recommend because I've read them. And we were talking in the first part about uncertainty itself. There, <laughs> Yes, like that New one coming out in July. Look at that, The Art of Abundance. Yay! <laughs> yes, let's, let's know that it is an art and it doesn't come from the fear of scarcity. So that's a topic for another topic time. I guess we'll be having another interview in July or August, Dennis, to talk about that one. But in the part one, we ended by saying that we need to have a conversation of faith because we talked about fear, but we really need to understand what faith is. You know, you go to a store, a home goods store, and you see signs that say faith. You should put them up in your house. How do you define faith? Well, we're operating with faith every day whether we're consciously aware of it or not. I mean, we get out of bed in the morning and, and we have faith that we'll lay our heads on that pillow that night. And we operate throughout the day on autopilot, uh, you know, whereas, you know, there's no guarantees that we'll make through the next day in wholeness and in wellness. And yet there's a place within us that, that believes that we will and moves us forward. We'd never get behind the wheel of a car if we didn't have faith in the longevity of our lives. We wouldn't, there's a lot of things we wouldn't do without faith. And, and for the most part, our faith is unrealized or unthought of. It, it's really coming from more of an intuitive place than it is an intellectual place. And what do we have faith in, Dennis? Well, you know, I guess that, that's really a personal uh, call because one way or another, I think people who have faith in something larger than themselves 
whether you call it God or whether you call it uh, the universe or infinite intelligence or just good luck. I don't, I don't, there's many different uh, descriptions or definitions of what faith might be. But at the end of the day, I think what calls us to faith is knowing that there's something within us that knows better than we do how to get us through what lies in front of us if we trust and to some degree surrender to it. Mm-hmm. You know, in the book, I, talk, I give the story about the birds coming to the edge of their, their, their getting out of the nest for the first time and learning how to fly. You know, and they come to the edge of, of uncertainty, and there's something within them that knows how to fly. They, they don't, they've never flown before, but what do they do? They, they li- literally fall off the edge of the branch of the tree, and they fall into uncertainty, knowing that there's something within them that knows how to fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go figure it does <laughs> and that uh, sorry that allows us that just that example to think you know that that irish proverb that you know when you when you jump off a cliff the road will come up to meet you the ground will arise to meet you that irish blessing um it's not intuitive often you know, it's something that we don't think about. We, we don't think about what you were saying about getting up in the morning and knowing that we're going to be there to put our head on the pillow that night as faith so much. Yeah. I think that, that that's just something that you take for granted. But sometimes we really need something to hold on to. And if we haven't thought about these things, we don't understand faith and its possibilities and what we actually think of as faith, then it's missing when we need it. Yeah, well, I, it, it's that's why I think a lot of people uh, have the spiritual practices that they do. They they meditate daily. They do the different things that they do. They pray. They they do something to stay connected to that part of themselves that's bigger than themselves that they know is their omnipresence all the time. Right. And, you know, I, I like the, the analogy of, of uh, it's, it's easier to put out a fire when you know where the fire extinguisher is. And having faith in the moment means you know how where the fire extinguisher is and when you need it. And the more that we practice whatever the practices are that give us a sense of being connected with that which is larger than us, so it's readily accessible in the moment, that's, that's the utilization of faith. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to go searching for it because you're so well practiced in your awareness of it that you live in that awareness. I love that. That's another great metaphor from Dennis Merritt Jones, right? <laughs> um, my partner, uh, Charles Anderson, and I wrote a book called Soul Solitude, Taking Time for Our Souls to Catch Up. Mm. And we simplified this whole thing because people say, well, what's meditation and how do you do it? And, and even my book editor, when I sent her the book, she didn't respond for days. And I said, what's the problem? She said, I'm really angry. I said, why are you angry? She said, page 111. I said, what's on page 111? <laughs> turned out there were just a few words in the middle of the page. It says, there is no drama in soul solitude. Simply sit, fall silent, and listen. And I said, well, why did that make you so angry? She said, well, I never meditate because I tell myself I don't know how, and you just blew my cover. (laughs) 
and and so it, it it's you simplify it so well there just as sit fall silent and listen get into the practice of knowing that there's something to listen to yeah. that there is something there for you when you do take the time to stop and listen and that you develop a relationship with that fire extinguisher yeah yeah, yeah. that's well said uh, that, I mean, at the center of living life with uncertainty has to be faith. Yes. Um, either that or, or you, you enter every day with trepidation and fear and, and anxiety and angst, and that gets you nowhere. You know? Yeah, and I noticed, Dennis, in the book, I call them your big four. And what, I, what I'm referring to is you talked about choice, faith, curiosity, and action. Yes. And... I think we've talked a bit about choice because we get to see things as we choose to see them and we can have faith or not have it. And we've talked about faith. But what did you mean when you're talking about curiosity? Curiosity is, is the ability to engage in uh, what lies in front of you with the opportunity to explore it in a positive way rather than a fearful way. Um, curiosity is is a natural thing. Animals have curiosity. They're, they they follow their instinct. My dog is curious about everything. He's he's caught up all the time with curiosity, but he doesn't have the ability to analyze and do self inquiry about it. We do. Yeah, dogs aren't particularly self reflective, are they? <laughs> they don't have to be because they're they're so in the present moment. That's all there is. Yeah, and for those of you who haven't read the book yet, the dog's called MacDoodle. Uh, right. So <laughs> do read the book. We're talking about Dennis's book, The Art of Uncertainty. And you might relate to it, everybody listening, because have you ever been uncertain? And did it cause fear? Or would you like uncertainty to feel like the, wow, I don't know where I'm going to land, but I'm excited about the possibility, right? Exactly. It's perspective is everything. You can you can reframe uncertainty to be uh, something that that is energizing and motivating, if you have enough faith behind it to to trust that you're going to land on your feet. Mm-hmm. So in the curiosity piece of the big four: choice, faith, curiosity, and action. Um, this inquiry, this being willing to ask questions about what's going on in my life, what's going on in my mind, what has gone on, what could go on, what's possible. You know, you've written about possibility before. Um, it, it entertains that idea of possibility, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. And then how do we move from all that to taking action? Because I know a whole lot of people have been to my seminars and I bet they've been to yours and they're just like, oh, I can hardly wait to do that. And then you meet them a month later and you say, how are things going? Oh, well, life intervened. (laughs) One of my teachers had a great saying. He'd say, realization without application is hallucination. Oh, I love it. (laughs) And and, I mean, we can have all these divine ah ahas and all these awarenesses, right? But if we don't apply them, in real time in our daily lives, you may as well just go off and eat magic mushrooms and zone out. So, so taking the awarenesses that, that, that we receive and putting them into action is where the rubber meets the road. And there's no simple way around that other than you know, we have to get rid of our addiction to instant gratification. Yes. It's really easy, it's really easy for our mind to get, off, go, get pulled off track into 
things that are, help us avoid dealing with the what is in the moment that's calling us to go deeper into the journey. Mm-hmm. So say that, that what your mentor said to you again, that was so good. Realization without application is hallucination. Hmm. So let's put that in, in general terms that everybody can go. You go learn something, you hear something that you go, wow, I want some of that. I want my life to be like that. And then you go home and you say, oh, maybe not today. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the problem with, with self-help seminars and, and a lot of self-help books is that, that they don't allow you to take the, the truth of the teaching deep enough. What we're really dealing with, this is a whole, could be a whole other conversation, Roberta, and I know you understand the, the role that consciousness plays in our lives. And our consciousness took as many years old as we are to create what it is today. You're not going to change your consciousness, which is another term for your, the collection of your total belief system. You're not going to change that in a, a one-week seminar or a weekend seminar. It takes a long time to, to change the content of our consciousness. But you start one day at a time challenging the beliefs that are no longer working for you. Yes. And, you know, you just said so much, and you're right, we need to talk about this one day, Dennis, because when you want to lose weight, you don't decide today, I want to be 30 pounds slimmer, and then expect tomorrow to see a 10-pound drop. Of course. You've got to apply something. You've got to know that it is a step-by-step improvement in your conscious awareness of this is what I'm moving toward. Right. And you have to be in that mindset every day. You know, you don't take four days off and two days on and say, why didn't I release any weight? So it's important for us. And there's just something I'd like to throw in. And I know that, you know, we're running out of time. Well, we're not running out of time, but the time for this session. And I want to ask you this question because I'm getting a little bit interested in, no, a whole lot interested in why is this big push towards bliss and having it all and you're not allowed to fail and you push, push, push. Why is this so appealing as opposed to relaxing, having faith, living your vision, living what you listen and hear when you're sitting quietly? Why is this such extreme? What do you think? (laughs) Well, I think it's because we believe that after we have it all, then we'll be at peace. Mm. What what we really are seeking, we're each seeking is deep inner peace. That's what we really want is a sense of, everything's all right. And the problem is we're addicted to the idea that that inner peace can't happen for us until we have the new car, the new home, the beautiful body, the, the perfect life, you know, and, and we, we have our, our, our values attached to surface level things rather than core level things. Um, what we're seeking is freedom. Mm-hmm. freedom to be at peace in the moment. And we have too many attachments to thinking that we have to have this or that in our lives before we're free to be. And that's totally wrong. What a beautiful place to end our interview, Dennis. There's so much to talk about. And understanding that we can embrace our fears, that we can embrace the unknown of what tomorrow may bring. And in that embracing our 
endless and infinite possibilities. Yes. But if we have this narrow thing, it has to be like this, it's going to look like that, it must look like that. When that happens, all this other stuff is left out. <laughs> and, and certainly have focus, know what you're up to, but also have focus with great peripheral vision so that other possibilities can be seen. Yes, good. So thank you so much for being with me today, Dennis. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Absolutely. And thank you. Thank you. And my guest is Dr. Dennis Merritt-Jones. Learn more about him at Dennis, two N's, Merritt, two R's and two T's, jones.com. He's written lots of great books, and I mean that. You know, it's easy to say people write great books, but I've read those books, and those are not books you skim over. Those are books you go back and you read them over and over again. So <clears throat> thank you again, Dennis, and everybody. You're listening to The Relationship Help Show. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, and you can learn more about my work at For Relationship Help. Visit my YouTube channel. Subscribe over there. The channel's called For Relationship Help. There's always a new guest waiting for you around the corner at the Relationship Help Show, so always put us on your calendar. No matter what's happening right now, life can get better. If you have a good relationship, it can become great. If your relationship is in trouble, we can find a solution. The good news is that it's in your hands to start. The not-so-good news is that it takes time, new insights and skills, and a whole bunch of willingness. But who would settle for less? Not you, right? Good. You want to feel seen, heard, known, accepted, and appreciated. You want honesty, safety, trust, respect, and reliability, too. Read my book, Kaizen for Couples, available for download at couplesbook.com. Start there, and let's talk soon. Question is always being asked in the Facebook group, and I want to address it here today because it comes up over and over and over. So I'm just going to read one of the questions that was asked about this, and then we will um, proceed with the answer. And here's what a person from my Facebook group, Optimize Live, asked. My wife walked out and took our two children. She did it when I was not home and just left a note saying that she had had enough. She pretty much cleaned out the house, and shortly after, I found she had cleaned out the bank account as well. She withheld the th children for three months until the court intervened. Now she wants to come back. What should I do? Well, my answer here is clear. This person likely a hijackal. If you're listening to my program, you've already identified this is a person who is allaboutthemselves.com. They just want what they want. They want it their way and they want it when and how they want it. And she has demonstrated as this person's spouse that she just took everything and felt she was quite entitled to do that. Now, if we weren't talking about hijackals, there would be a whole lot of other questions about this relationship. How is it really running and what does all that mean? 
and that would be clear. However, if we're talking about the fact we already know that this spouse is a hijackal or has hijackal traits, then we have a little bit different answer to the question. It's really important to believe people's behavior, not their words. And because we are kind, wonderful, compassionate people, maybe a little bit people-pleasing and codependent, we want to believe when somebody tells us that they love us and they've changed and they want us back. We want to be wanted. However, you've got to sit back and spruce up. You really have to see that you wake up and smell the herbal tea. You know, this is going on. This is what's happening in your relationship. It's probably happened many times. Maybe maybe that wife did not go out and leave and clean out the bank account in the house several times, but she left emotionally several times. She withheld. She went gave the silent treatment. She threatened. She did all kinds of things that led up to this. And now there you are, she cleaned out your house. She cleaned out your bank account. She withheld the children. You had to go to court. She wants power over you. That is very, very clear. The question for you is, am I going to give it to her? And why would I? If you sit back and you say to yourself, if I were giving advice to a friend who told me this story, I doubt that you would tell them to take her back. I doubt that you would say, oh, yes, give it another go. You'll only get hurt again, but that's okay. No, you wouldn't do that. You would say, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to do that. But when you are personally involved and invested, it's more difficult to see that. So that's why I'm talking about this question today, because I want to be that friend who says, hey, this is who this person really is. And if you take her back, in this case, it's a her, if you take her back, it is highly, highly likely she's going to do it again. And that's because she's going to love bomb you, come and say, oh, I'm so sorry, and I did the wrong thing, and I love you endlessly. And then within a short period of time, after she has achieved control and you've allowed her back, she is going to then start behaving in exactly the same way. You're going to find yourself in exactly the same situation. You're going to be doubly hurt, and you're going to be kicking yourself for not saying no the first time. Now that might sound harsh to you. I'm sorry if it does, but you really do have to take that big step back and say, what are the patterns here? How is this running this way? Am I going to allow it to continue? And then you make your decision. And once you see these patterns, I hope you'll never unsee them. That's called denial. Don't go there. See the pattern. Believe the pattern. Yes, you want the person to be the person you fell in love with. They are not. Remember that graphic that I put out, that beautifully colored chameleon. And it says, at first, they are your favorite colors. Soon after, they become showing you their true colors. That's what happens that's what you're seeing. Look at the true colors. Don't look at it through rose-colored glasses. And the answer is no, do not take them back. It's too hard on you. It's too hard on children, should there be children. It is not wise and it will never work out. If you want to talk to me personally, get a free consult at forrelationshiphelp.com. 
Just look under join the uh, work with Dr. Shaler button and make sure that you're getting my newsletter tips for relationships so we can stay in touch and you can stay strong. Talk soon. I'm so glad you were here with me today for the Relationship Help Show. We become stronger together when we talk together, and that's so important. Today we were talking about overcoming uncertainty, ambiguity, and chaos. You have to overcome those things. You have to get clear about what's really going on, what the reality is, and I'm sure that you heard that in today's show. You learned how to say what you really mean with my segment. Then with Dr. Dennis Merritt-Jones, we talked about his book, The Art of Uncertainty, and he was defining uncertainty and where it comes from a spiritual perspective and how we have to turn that into practical action. So important. We also talked about how to know when you need to let go of what in your life. All of these things that I bring to you are to help you have the best life possible, to get a view of what is a healthy, happy life, and to make it eminently available to you by following some of these things. The last segment was a question and answer, should I take my partner back? A big question for many, many people. And next week, we're going to be talking um, with Johanna Lynn. She is an amazing woman who has great things to offer. She's been through the things that many of you have been through, and she has emerged on the other side helping others with clinical hypnosis techniques. Very, very interesting. She has a new take on things that we haven't had on the show before, and I hope that you will tune in. And as you go through this next week, remember, you are strong no matter how you feel in this moment. You are capable and can overcome obstacles even when you feel like quitting. You are worthwhile and deserve to be loved in healthy, supportive relationships. You will never allow yourself to be abused in any way. You will never say anything about yourself that you do not want to be true because you matter. Talk soon. I'm so glad you spent this time with me today. I hope you heard something that touched your heart. You can have the life and relationships that you most want, and that begins within you now, today. I'm always here for you. Life can get better, and you heard that from me, the Relationship Help Doctor, Roberta Shaler. I work with clients throughout the world through video conferencing. We can talk. Learn more at forrelationshiphelp.com, visit youtube.com slash forrelationshiphelp, and if you want to listen to the show's archives, visit relationshiphelpshow.com. Join me for next week's show. I'll see you then. Talk soon. <music>